And the Oscar goes to, by a nose, Nicole Kidman. Hello, Matthew. Hello, Sam. Uh, Welcome to the Kid Manifesto. Hi. Hello. I'm so happy to be here. We've been talking about this for a while. As we get towards the end of this podcast, a lot of these are going to be like things that I tried to set up in like April or like (laughs) last December. (laughs) Um, I think, first of all, happy um, one year anniversary of uh, this podcast and you get to be the anniversary guest. So it did sort of work out for you in a way. Oh my god, that is actually really exciting. I love anniversaries. (laughs) I love anything that's symbolic. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There's a lot of symbolism in this movie, so I'm assuming that's why you chose it. Um, Yeah, congratulations for that. I think it's really funny that you and I have, like, been in each other's presence since we made these plans and, like, didn't do this. <laughs> like, I know. I, I well, it's funny. Yeah, no, I think recording podcasts in person, IRL versus, like, over the phone is two different things. And actually, I feel like over the phone sometimes is more successful. Like, each person is in their element. And I don't know. Because we're just both like sitting. Um, I'm in my closet, and you're um, probably well, in live, somewhere that's more comfortable. A, I live in a studio apartment. It's all one room, so you can think of the whole room as my closet. <laughs> in a way, aren't we all in our own closets? Yeah, I, that's honestly that's the that's the underlying that's the underline here is that we're all. In um, our yeah, I just love that we've seen each other. Uh, in multiple countries, actually, since we planned this, and this oh, is true. This is the terms. Yeah, the work we've come to. We um, had a I would plot like, in Toronto for a little bit. Yes, I would like to say officially that, um, and this is so obnoxious before I've even introduced you, but I would like to say that I saw Matthew uh, literally crossing the street in Toronto at TIFF while I was sitting um, in a coffee shop, and then I looked down at my phone, and there was a text from him, and he said, "Where are you?" And we had not spoken about our respective TIFF journeys at all that whole time. And it was completely serendipitous and very <laughs> fortunate that we ran into each other. Truly. Um, on that note, <laughs> since I steamrolled you, would you mind introducing yourself? Totally. Um, I am Matthew Rodriguez, and I am the, a staff writer for Into, which is Grinders LGBTQ digital magazine. Um you've probably a lot of people who are listening to this have probably read it and they either like it or extremely dislike it i don't know (laughs) do you think nicole has ever read something from into um you know what i don't i don't know you know i think into launched after i think into launched after big little lies i mean i know it did because big little lies came on when i lived in new york and i feel like big little lies is one of those things that we would have written about a lot and since then there haven't been as many nicole-esque things for us to write about i know that so i will i mean for some behind the scenes stuff i've interviewed almost everyone who was involved with um boy erased except for nicole and lucas i've interviewed joel the writer the writer of the original memoir garrett and um uh why can't i remember the other person joel egerton garrett Troy, oh Troy! <laughs> wow, Drag I only me. know that because we spoke about it. <laughs> yeah, um, Troy. Uh, so, but yeah, we kept trying to get Nicole, and everyone wants to get Nicole, and we couldn't get her. But Maybe we are getting like... we are getting Lucas this week, though. So oh, good. nice! 
I was going to say, like, maybe Nicole will break the patent and then you'll have a reason to talk to her. (laughs) But I really feel like we would have been one of those sites that was breaking down every little thing about Big Little Lies. The way that all we're doing right now is just making a Star is Born content. Yeah. (laughs) I do love how many um, just, like, media outlets have turned into a Star is Born factories. Truly. It's what the um, people want. <laughs> yeah, who among us? It's what I want. Every time every time I tweet a new Star is Born meme, I tell myself it's going to be the last one, and then I just keep doing it. Right, right. Um, let's, let's continue this trend of talking about you, which I like. Um, I know that you had kind of semi-volunteered for this movie, and we can get into that, but had this movie not been available, had you had your free-range pick of any of the Nicole films, um, would you have stuck with this, or do you have any other favorite performances that come to mind? So I would not have stuck with this. I think (laughs) the reason that, and I think I remember telling you this, I had to read The Human Stain in college, and not for a class, I was an RA, which I think would surprise approximately 0% of people who meet me. Um, but I was an you, RA. Yeah, you radiate big RA energy. I really do. And I, um, I, uh, it would also, I don't think it would surprise anyone to know that when I was an RA, throughout my three years and two summers as an RA, I never once gave out a disciplinary citation at all. I literally just became an RA to help people. <laughs> like, I, I hated paperwork and I never did a disciplinary <laughs> action in my life. Um, which was like a different than why straight men become RAs because they do it to like get power. Uh, yeah they do it because it's like the stanford prison experiment and you just did it (laughs) to like hang out yeah so um okay if i had had my pick of the litter um well i will say my first introduction to nicole kidman was probably in batman forever as dr chase meridian um i love all superhero movie things and i loved the bat the batmans were probably my my my, um introduction to the superhero genre and um, people sleep on how good she is as Dr. Chase Meridian. Uh, she's good. Some of the shit she has to say is wild, but I would say that she is good at it. Yes. Yes, that is true. Well, that's mostly because Joel Schumacher just took the the franchise in a stupid direction. And everyone had stupid shit to say in that movie. Like, there's no... There's no limit of stupid shit. But I th- I, th- I actually say if I had to have my number one choice, it would be, because I'm a faggot, it would be Practical Magic. It's ooky spooky season, so that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's why it's just on my mind too right now is like Practical Magic is so good. And what I love this year, because actually, I don't know if I say this every year, but I don't, I don't know about you, but I feel like Halloween is gone to another magnitude this year like everything i just feel like has been over the top like netflix has released no less than 25 shows about halloween and Mm -hmm. everyone's just really into it and i feel like there's been this um moment to uh, maybe because it's 20 years since practical magic but i feel like actually this year there's been this movement to recast and to to relook at it as this like feminist tome um, which, of course, I love because it was completely misread as like a silly rom-com when it came out. But it's so dark and intense. Um, and there's so many things to parse through when you actually talk about it. So I've loved that 20 years later, people are revisiting it. My conspiracy theory with that is that it all started with um, the Oscars this year when Nicole interrupted Sandra speaking on the red carpet and that everything has just been in motion since then. I would I would tend to agree with that. Um, I think people, I think, um, yeah, no, I'm just going to say that I agree with that. 
I also just think that Michael Verratti is the um, most powerful queer witch that we all know and that he probably has some stake in it as well. I would 100% agree with that. I love Michael Verratti. Being around <laughs> him is just great. He um, did the Practical Magic episode and uh, it really felt like, um, like if Anthony Hopkins is a professor in this movie, it really felt like Michael Verratti was like, I was taking his 301 class on Practical Magic and like queer horror. Well, it's funny. So I was on his podcast um, talking about queer horror stuff and it was the first time that he had had someone who wasn't like in the film industry on his podcast. I was there just as like a commentator who likes queer horror. Mm-hmm. Um, well, because I had written so much about the Baba Duke and stuff like that and wasn't just like pumping out memes about it. I had actually like written stuff on it. But um, uh, and that's how we met. And it was funny because when we met, I went to his studio in Glendale and then he drove me to the, to the subway to get home. And on the subway, he literally taught me a master class about Dracula like in the car he just like we i forgot how we got to that point but he just like told me everything he knew about the history of dracula and it was amazing all things lead back to dracula with him um (laughs) (laughs) this is now the michael verati manifesto so i so i will say i probably would have chosen practical magic but some other nicole things that i love i mean i obviously kind of love moulin rouge but um i also hmm yeah, so I would say, yeah, I would say Moulin Rouge and, and um, the first one I said, uh, Batman, Batman Forever. But it's funny, as I was preparing for this, I went through, and obviously I don't need to say this to you because you run a podcast of it, but I literally was like looking through her her filmography and I was just like, wow, what, what an offering. Like, it's yeah. just, I just don't know of any actress who's gone so high to low pop to art and just done i mean i obviously need to say this to you but it is really funny how much she has to offer and also like consistently making sometimes like one to two movies a year if not three sometimes you know yeah i mean it's i'm sure i've talked about this you know time and time again but like one of the only reasons this is fun and exciting is because there are so many like highs and lows there are different eras there is consistent work um Oh like, yeah, I mean the the era the the way I've always thought about Nicole. I mean her era to me is I always think about the post Oscar to Rabbit Hole era mm-hmm. because I actually think that's her most misunderstood era. You know? Yeah, there. I mean, it's so interesting because like some of the films aren't hits. There's also a lot of like weird um, like Miramax stuff in there. Like this being kind of one of them. There's like obviously the way that her relationships play into it uh there's a lot of like external forces kind of like acting on them that i think like adds to the richness of why they're so interesting yeah but at the same time she never stopped working with like interesting directors or or doing good projects like i think if anything the like the audience's relationship to nicole changed but her i don't think the relationship to her work changed you know oh i I agree I think it was us who are receiving her differently post Oscar. And that's just something that we do to a lot of our actresses after they win. I know I've said this before, but like it still boggles my mind that like the cultural conversation around her for years was just like, Oh, her face doesn't move. Like that was the only thing that we could come up with. Oh yeah. No, totally. It's literally the like miss juicy. Can you come up with something else? Can you come up with something else? (laughs) (laughs) 
Right, right. But like, we can give any man in Hollywood like a million chances to keep making the same shitty stuff, and no one comments on like Adam Sandler's forehead. Yeah, no. Literally, if I have to see another tweet about his new Netflix comedy special, I'm mad that people are like praising it. I'm just like, can you stop like praising Adam Sandler for anything? Like, why? I've already had to talk about him once on this podcast because Nicole has the range and therefore did an Adam Sandler movie, but I. I do not. Get Which Adam Sandler movie did she do? Um, that movie, just go with it. Where? It was, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Aniston yeah, yeah. joint. Okay, I did not. I didn't see Just Go with it, so I didn't even know that she was in it. Um, she yeah, she's like a supporting villain, and she actually is very fun in it. Um, because she can do anything, and it just comes from like her like meeting Adam Sandler on SNL and him being like, one day I'll make a movie. With you. Oh, like, you know okay. what? I just lied to you. I spent a whole however long we've been on here lying to you that my favorite Nicole Kidman performance of all time and my favorite Nicole movie is The Others. That's the one I would have chosen. Mm, great. Yeah, you had to um fight internet darling Chris Hanna for it, but that is a great choice. I would I would I would love to fight internet darling Chris Hanna any day. Um he is... <laughs> Chris Hanna turn on your location. <laughs> <laughs> um no, I love him so much, but yeah, no. I remember going to see The Others more than once in theaters. Um, and there's very few movies in my life that I've seen more than once in theaters. Um, the record for me is five and that's bridesmaids, but still there's very few movies that I will go to see more than once in theaters. And the others was one of them. Um, and I had it on DVD and I used to watch it all the time. And I just think she is flawless. And I think honestly in a world with justice, like she would have won for that instead of the hours. It's, not that much it's not that big of a controversial choice like for a nominee especially looking at like even like a potential tony collette like hereditary nomination like the well, others i also, think this oh, was 2001 and we had just come off of well speaking of tony collette we had just come off of tony collette's sixth sense kind of yeah you know tony collette is the queen of getting nominated for horror <laughs> i mean when will your fave it, it, <laughs> and like the others has you know, the others in the sixth sense both have kind of like a high drama level. Like they're not full, like jump scare the whole time in a way that like Hereditary leans a little bit closer to that. But like, I think the yeah. others is right there in that kind of like, plus it's got like a period element to it. Well, that's the thing is like the others is a horror element that's dressed up in everything else that Academy voters would like. Like the voter, I mean, the others is just the King's speech with ghosts. <laughs> Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, should we should we talk about this movie? <laughs> Honestly, as long as much as we as much as we can just like delay talking about this movie, it's fine. No, um, I think we should talk about the human stain. I think we should talk about how the very first thing that happens in the human stain is that they talk about Monica Lewinsky a lot. They talk about her. A lot. Um, it, one of them says, I'm going to say some vulgar quotes from this movie throughout this podcast. So just please bear with me, listening audience, and also you. But the first one that I would like to talk about is when one of them refers to, like, the fact that if Clinton had, you know, had oral sex with her to completion, that that would have been the smoking cum. And that was when I knew that this movie wasn't going to be for me. <laughs> well, um, also, Gary Sinise, who gives the 
the voiceover at the beginning, he says that America was preoccupied by cocksucking. And that's when I knew that the movie wasn't for me. And it's funny (laughs) because I would usually be on board when I hear cocksucking, but having it come from Gary Sinise to denigrate Monica Lewinsky made me know that I wasn't in friendly territory. Yeah, it was 2003, so we had some distance, but also, like, we were still very, very unkind about that whole situation. We were still very much in punchline territory. Yes. Um, we also get a, a, a flash forward, I guess, of that car crash, which truly left me confused until the very, very end of the movie, so I guess good job. Yeah, um, I, I think, uh, do you want to talk about that choice when it happens now, or talk about when it happens later or talk about it now mm, we can talk about it at the end i guess we have to have something yeah. to look forward to uh <laughs> <laughs> truly i mean i think the, the the that opening sequence i'll say this i think it only exists so that you know nicole is in the movie and that she's coming eventually yeah she doesn't show up until like i'm trying to see where i i have my first note about her about i want to say almost halfway into my notes so yeah and and when she comes in she changes the whole movie and what it is but um she doesn't come in for a while but i think if they put it at the beginning they're like okay we need to um let people know that she's she's gonna be here eventually also can we talk about the fact that the human stain like <laughs> the film like it was at venice film festival it was at toronto film festival it was at a bunch it was at the hollywood film festival like this was one of those to to borrow a line from our our friends over at this had Oscar buzz, like it had Oscar buzz, like it was supposed. I to was be just a texting thing. both of them about it, and I was like, "Did this movie? Did it?" Um, yeah. When well, you look I it think... up on IMDb, the release date is the French release date, and I was like, "Fuck, was this a can? <laughs> like, what's happening?" Well, the release date, yeah, the release date is Cannes, but then in the U.S., it was released in Oscar season. It was released on Halloween, October thirty first, two thousand three. Great. I love I love a Nicole joint that's tied to a holiday. I still can't believe that Destroyer is going to be released on Christmas Day. That's truly oh beyond God. me. That is honestly a choice. Me taking we my kids to see Destroyer on Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's talk about Anthony Hopkins using that slur. Yeah, he's a professor of the classics. He's the first Jewish professor of the classics. And um, I already am taking umbrage with that. And uh, he has like two... Sorry, were they trying to say he was the first like ever or just the first at his university? I think... I think they they say the first at the university because there's some narration from Gary about the school um, and the department and how he like rose to the head of the department. Um, but right. he has like two students that are perennially absent. They're like five weeks into this uh, semester, and he's like can't figure out like if they're even real people. Um, and then some some words get spoken. Uh... <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, so he asking if they are ever going to be present in the class asks, are they s p o o k s and um, which is also a racial slur against black people. And it turns out that both students are black that he's referring to. So he gets in a lot of trouble with, um, well, I guess he's a Dean. So he gets in trouble just kind of with the teacher's council. Yeah. The, t- the teacher's council assembles um, and 
he's like trying to make the argument that he meant it in like the spectral sense and they're not buying it. And at one point, just to really reinforce that this character is supposed to be Jewish, Anthony Hopkins attempts to say the word chutzpah and it is very trying for me. Um, I won't say that it's more offensive because it's not, but it is certainly trying its hardest to be as close to the already racial offense that he's committed. Also, I, I, I also feel like not only is he trying very hard to say the word chutzpah in a way, I also feel like it's injected in the sentence in a place that it doesn't belong just to remind you that he's Jewish. <laughs> he's just like, dragging just, that We around. have to have him say a word and they spin a wheel of Jewish words and we're like, which one will he say? And then they spin another wheel to see where in the sentence they would put it. <laughs> yeah. Like, will it be the subject of the predicate. Um, right. Exactly. He, he like qu- he quits he leaves in a huff because he can't believe that they would call him a racist and then he goes home and i do love that he tries to be woke with his wife because his wife is like what happened what happened um and he tells her the story and she's like oh they were two black kids and he's like african american <laughs> right and he and um can we talk about his wife is a tony winner phyllis newman <laughs> Oh, is that her? She's like barely in the movie, and at the end, she just kind of like has her head in his lap. So I like barely looked at her. Right. Well, that's what I was because I looked her up because I was like, I kind of know who this is, but I don't. But I was also like, I knew from the moment. I mean, I've also read the book, but I kind of have forgotten most of the book. I just know the general architecture of the story. But I was like, oh, you know, she's going to die because they didn't cast like a big name actress. Because if he came home and his wife was Susie Kurtz, (laughs) she wouldn't have died. (laughs) Yeah. That's my idea of a big name actress, by the way, is Susie Kurtz. (laughs) I, yeah. (laughs) A-list actress. Um, Well, I don't even think she belongs on the A-list. I think she's super A-list. She's beyond that. I just looked at what she won a Tony for, and it's a musical called Subways Are For Sleeping, and she also beat Barbra Streisand that year. But I had looked her up on IMDb and just saw that she was the mom in Mannequin, so I was like, I don't need to look any further on this woman. (laughs) Subways Are For Sleeping. Honestly, when I lived in New York, subways were for crying. That's where I did my best crying. (laughs) Um, Public transit is a great place to cry. Uh, The last time I cried, this sort of counts, was in a lift line, which I'm saying counts because there were strangers in it. Well, you know, I was actually just thinking about writing a piece for Into about my moving to L.A. um, because we're doing a feature. We're doing like a themed month of content called The Come Up of just about like queer people I don't know, getting better over time. And I was going to write about therapy. Um, But my problem, my biggest problem with LA is that it's so hard to cry in public. I feel like you can't, but in New York, I was so comfortable crying in public. So one of my biggest things about LA is that just crying in public feels weird. Um, I'm not a huge crier, so I can't really. Oh, I cry all the time. I've said this before. I wish I could, but. um, Oh yeah. We did talk about this. Yeah. It comes up. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, his wife just dies. She says, like, she basically pulls, like, an infinity war and says, like, I don't feel so good. And then, like, lays her head in Anthony Hopkins' lap. And then, like, the next scene is just like, well, she died. I know. She it's died like, of a broken heart. It's like, oh, you lost your job. This is causing me agita. And then she dies. They really do make that inference. They're like, in the, um, like, eulogy, he says, like, it was just too much for her. And I'm like, really? 
Yeah, I feel like there might have been like an underlying heart issue or that may not have been that might have been looked at. I don't think it was grief over you losing your job, but okay. Not only is make it, it like, about, make it about <laughs> Yeah, not only is it like grief over him losing her job, but then in the next scene he goes on to say that his wife was murdered because of the decision. That is the best part is that like he then goes I mean cuz that's how he meets Gary Sinise kind of is that he goes to meet him because Gary Sinise is kind of like a has-been novelist and he's like oh I have a great story for you they murdered my wife and then like when he has to explain how they murdered her he's like well they fired me to kill her it's like what yeah and Gary Sinise lives in a cabin in the woods and um has a beautiful screen and porch so he meets Gary Sinise and I, and I want to, when he meets this, when he meets Gary Sinise, first of all, he knocks on his front door at this cabin in the woods and then says, can I come in? And then walks in before Gary Sinise can answer. And like, I would have called the police or tried to hit him. Cause there's like, there's someone entering my house when I did not invite them in. He's it's very, he's obtrusive. definitely into it. Um, in a way that he shouldn't be because all he tells you in that first scene is like I'm a hermit I came here to be away from people but like definitely just walk in if you find me <laughs> if you've made really? it here then I'll have to allow you he's taking a feline approach to life where he's just like yeah. I will not see yeah <laughs> um, they play gin rummy which is a game that I couldn't explain to you yeah, no, it might as well be Canasta. I know nothing about it. It um, might as well just, like, I would have rather had just watched every time they played Jin Rummy, just the scene from Crazy Rich Asians where they play Mahjong instead. <laughs> not even, like, not even, like, the big showdown scene, just, like, the first one where they're just, like, recreationally playing. Well, I feel like if they had played Mahjong, like, Anthony Hopkins would have gone on a big philosophical rant about, like, what Mahjong's about. Oh, yeah, he would have said the C word, first of all, and then he would have done that. Oh, totally. <laughs> um, <laughs> we we get our first flashback here, and this is where the movie finally has some value to me because we get Wentworth Miller. So I just want to preface this flashback by saying that the flashback that we get, which I think the flashbacks are wild because they just happen for no reason. Like he'll just be talking about a memory and then it goes into his memory. But often the memory to me has nothing to do with kind of the A plot of being fired. Um, but so Anthony Hopkins goes cruising and he refuses to call it cruising, but he's cruising. He talks about going into the stacks of the NYU library and always coming out with a girl and he calls it fishing. He says, it's just like fishing. And I'm like, no, you were cruising. And as someone who went to NYU, I know that the NYU stacks are a place for cruising. And I know he was cruising. Um, I used to study at the STSU library a lot, and uh, there were constantly people that were just having sex in the bathrooms. So I know that, that to be true, probably at most universities. Yeah, I mean, libraries just turn people on. I guess so. I mean, I, locked, I watched Wentworth Miller in this library, and I was into it because he is a very handsome man. He is, but I also feel like, so when, I mean, okay, maybe, do we, do we, do we talk about the big reveal of the the movie now or do we wait for the reveal because that makes Wentworth Miller's presence so much funnier um I <laughs> I mean what we know now is that Wentworth Miller is a young Anthony Hopkins and those of you at home should be raising at least one eyebrow to that 
Yes. Okay. Let's let's start with that. Yeah. <laughs> let's start with like casting people. But also, to play on, <laughs> but also on that note, he meets that um like Danish woman, the Danish girl. Um, he meets <laughs> that Danish girl, and then he like he meets Alicia Vikander. He meets uh, yeah, future Academy Award winner Alicia Vikander, and he um takes her home or goes to her house or something, and he asks her how she takes her coffee, and she makes a very pointed slash the camera makes a very pointed gesture when she says black, and I was wondering if that was foreshadowing. Well, he like bristles at the word. Like, he's like, <laughs> um, what do you what are you saying? No, I like it light, like my skin. I am light. <laughs> yeah, I like my coffee white. That's a thing people say, right? I like I like my coffee with no coffee. Just give me milk. I will just have milk. It is white. <laughs> yeah. How do you like your coffee? I just like milk. <laughs> um they so they're on like a little date and he like says that he's a boxer and he's like telling her about it and he's like try it out and she's like no no and he's like no try it out so she kind of like starts sparring with him and i don't know about you but if a man ever asked me to do that on a date i would not think it was cute and i would be mad oh okay so here's the thing i hate sports but if a man asked me to punch him on the date in that way not like actual but like to do that i actually think i would think it was hot because here's the thing i think that when men I don't know. There's something about a man trying to teach you something, not like mansplaining, but like when you're in the context of like you want, I don't know. There's something about um, whatever, whatever someone is passionate about them trying to teach it to you is kind of hot to me. Um, I obviously like probably wouldn't date like a football player or whatever. I don't know. But when it's boxing, boxing is so like primal. I think, I feel like I would think it was hot. I'm just going to say that if Wentworth Miller asked me to punch him, I'd be like, only if you punch me later. Okay, sure. <laughs> I mean, you kind of sold me with the, like, people talking about things that they're passionate about. Um, but I will just say, like, as a relatively small human, I think I've talked about this before. Also, I've talked about everything before at this point. Um, but, like, recently a Pride, like, I was dancing with a man and he, like, picked me up. And I, like, just don't like being reminded publicly that I'm, like, a small person. And I think that this boxing thing falls into that arena for me. Pun intended, I guess. And I just <laughs> wouldn't like the idea of, like, a man assumedly bigger than me, like being like this is gonna be cute because he's gonna like spar and it's like gonna be stupid and shitty but maybe that's just about me well i think there's a couple things going on with what you said but they are doing it in private which i think a lot of things can be hot in private that wouldn't be hot in public um okay yeah also a good point here's the thing that's not hot in public or private when anthony hopkins and gary sinise dance to cheek to cheek when they have their cheek to cheek era moment Oh my god, I was literally like, please, Anthony Hopkins, put on art pop instead. Like, <laughs> I was, I wish that they had just danced to Venus. I was gonna say, point. it'd be really funny, I guess they're listening to a radio, but in my mind, they're using, like, a phonograph, and they put the needle down on the record, and it's just rocket number nine take off to the planet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, no, that's the, and then, like, not only do they dance together, like, Anthony Hopkins goes through this, like, mini seduction with him where he's like, oh, why don't you soft shoe with me? And it's like, yeah. I don't fucking know how to soft shoe. It reminds me of in Grey Gardens um, when Big E.D. says, like, it's a soft shoe. How could you resist? And then Drew Barrymore does it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, no, I had a specific note about being so uncomfortable with this scene. Like, I was just like, they they look like they don't even want to be friends. Like when we talk about chemistry in movies, usually people talk about like love or sexual chemistry. Like they have no friend chemistry. They don't even look like they want to be next to each other. Yeah. (laughs) 
Um, he also mentions that he's having an affair, which is finally when Nicole shows up. And would you like to explain how she shows up in this movie? But, but wait, before we do, I need you to talk about the fact that when he says that he's having an affair, he says that he talks about how much he loves Viagra. Oh yeah, of course. He says the word Viagra four times in a row. He's like, I've recently gotten a new lease on life because of Viagra. He also asks, like, have you heard about it? And I'm like, it's 2003. Like SNL has like done those Viagra jokes into the ground, like a full decade before. So he meets Nicole Kidman because he needs to go to the post office <laughs> to, because he doesn't, it's not really a good explanation for why you need to barge into a post office. He says like, today is my, my sister's birthday but then no one is sure what he gets from the post office. And then if it's today and the post office is already closed, you're not going to get anything to her. He's definitely so using it's just an a- old fashioned stamp machine, but like it ain't getting there today. Right. So you missed your sister's birthday. And then Nicole, when he's driving home, Nicole's car, which I don't know how she got ahead of him and has already had car trouble because she had to lock up and was working. But anyway, when he's driving home, Nicole is on the side of the road having car trouble. And then basically he drives her home and she turns to him and she's like, listen, I'm really DTF right now. Yeah. And he's like, no, thank you. And she goes inside and he just um, has like a Bradley Cooper. I just want to take another look at you moment from the car and then decides to go in and she's just already ready to fuck. She's naked. But the the best part about that the whole seduction too is like she definitely she's DTF and like says it and makes it known. And his response is it's been years since I've been this close to a woman. I was like, that's a creepy, that's a creepy thing to say. (laughs) Yeah. That's when you say, okay, you know what? On second thought, I um, have literally anything else to do. I work on a dairy farm, which is a thing we forgot to say. And I have to go milk all these cows. Um, Yeah. So in their first, so yeah, he goes upstairs and since, I mean, I guess Anthony Hopkins takes a little bit to walk up the stairs because she's already naked in bed waiting for him. And then they fuck. And then in the morning, she says, quote, it's nothing personal. Well, she asks him to leave. And then she says, quote, it's nothing personal. I just don't want to wake up in the morning and have you here. It's very <laughs> um, Whoopi Goldberg. Like, why would I get want to get married? I don't want a man in my house. Exactly. But I also love that it's nothing personal. Like, it's literally when someone says, like, I'm not trying to be racist or, like, I don't mean to <laughs> offend you. And then they say something that's going to offend you. It's sort of like, it's nothing personal, yeah. but I don't want to wake up and see your face. <laughs> it's that iconic not to be racist, but and that vine where that girl just starts laughing. <laughs> she turns into um, yeah, she also, can we talk about what her assumed role at the dairy farm is? Because she talks about milking, but then, like, she talks about mul- at multiple points how she's a maid and she's, like, cleaning up people's shit. And I'm like, does she mean, like, cows? Or, like, is she, like, a, a literal maid for the people that own the dairy farm? No, no, I think she talks about being a janitor at the college, and that's what she has to clean up shit at the college where he used to work. many careers. She well, she's like uh she's kind of like um Jennifer Lopez in Monster in Law, where she has just like a lot of little odd jobs that she does to get by. Cause like I assume her hours at the post office are pretty regular. Well, I don't know how post offices work. Like I don't know if that post office was working on contract or freelance or something. <laughs> are they know? government employees? Isn't that the whole thing? Well that's well, yeah. I mean I, I don't know I don't know if the government hires part time. I really have not gotten boned up on my government. <laughs> employee stuff this is now a labor podcast 
<laughs> and of course they have to show they show her wrist she's suicidal she's tried to commit suicide before mm-hmm. also um i just like the moment she entered the movie i my first feeling was oh the people who wrote this movie have never met a woman because she speaks differently than everyone else mm-hmm. i don't know like her the writing of her character was just so weird and i was like have the people who wrote this met a woman like they don't know how she talks i don't know Every other woman in this movie has kind of, like, a role to fill. So they're all just kind of, like, playing a part. Like, Margot Martindale, who we'll get to in a second, is, like, a cop. And Anna Devere Smith is, like, stern mother. And, like, there's, like, a sister. And, like, they all kind of have, like, a role. And Nicole's the only one that, like, gets any sort of dimension. And it is just completely wasted. It truly is. But, yes, we do get a scene of her feeding and milking cows while Anthony Hopkins just watches her. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, we also, I guess in a way to attempt to give her dimension, we get to hear a lot about her backstory by her just telling us. And it's, she's the most fucked up past that she's had maybe since like Dogville. Yeah. So can we piece together what exactly her past is? So I know she was married to Ed Harris, who abused, who was basically a Vietnam vet who was living with trauma and like took it out on her. Mm -hmm. And she had children with him. And had children with him. And they died in a fire yeah because they had like a radiator that fell over and it like set the house on fire and in ed harris's words nicole couldn't save them because she was giving a blowjob while her kids were on fire which is very upsetting and i guess they never really go back to that line because it's such a striking moment but they never really so basically he's also saying that she was cheating on him right because it wasn't Mm -hmm. him that she was blowing so she was cheating on her husband while her kids were incinerating the way that this movie treats Nicole's character is truly abysmal because, like, at one point, it's, I think his lawyer, Anthony Hopkins' lawyer, is like, did you even ask her if she's HIV? And I'm just like, holy shit. <laughs> oh, my God, yes. I have a note about the HIV mention. And her lawyer, what's that actor's name? Well, Matthew, I have the IMDb open, and I will tell you that his name is... Oh, Clark, Clark Gregg. Gregg. And isn't he He's... the guy from S.H.I.E.L.D.? Well, he's, yeah, he's, he's, he's in, he's, he's also from like all the Marvel movies. Yeah. Oh, I've literally seen Dr. Strange and I think that's it. Maybe the original Avengers. He, well, he dies in the first Avengers and, but then like on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which debuted after they were like, oh, his, it's a fake out. He wasn't actually dead, but he dies in the first Avengers and he was in every single movie leading up to the first Avengers for some reason. Um, So, yeah, no, they're literally like, have you checked? Like, she could be blah, blah, blah. And they're just like, she could be HIV positive. And I was like, I don't know if I've ever seen a movie so casually talk about HIV the way that the human stain decided to by implying that because you don't know everything about Nicole Kidman that she might be HIV positive. Yeah. It's like, I could meet anyone on the street and be like, I don't really know them. Yes, anyone can be HIV positive. I don't understand. Yeah, it's really a throwaway because they definitely don't come back to it. Not that they should. Um, right. It's horrible the way that it's initiated. Um, but, but there's we- also, their pillow talk is truly terrible. Yeah, they only talk about bad bad shit. So at one point, um, this happens before the HIV mentioned when they're in bed fucking. And honestly, once Nicole Kidman comes in, it really just becomes a movie about them fucking. Like the whole plot about him being fired kind of goes away. And um, he, she asks like what he's thinking at one point. And he says, I was wondering what it's like fucking an old man. And I was like, well, first of all, that makes you gay. 
Um, and yeah, if you but think then about she, it, you're gay. Yeah, and then um, she says it's perfect, no surprises. And I'm like, wow, that's like a, the biggest burn in the world. Doesn't later she say like, um, you're not my like something like you're not my type. Like you should be like much older or something. And I'm like, stop fucking with him. She like really just takes every opportunity to beat him up and. It's not fun to watch. And also, like, you, like, it's, I mean, she, she, she's with Ed Harris, and they make Ed Harris look much older than he is at this point in 2003. And then Anthony Hopkins. And I love that she's like, you need to be older. Like. Yeah. um, Ed Harris also, like, um, because he's, like, mad about the situation. He constantly is like, she's fucking an old man. And I'm like, you look much closer to his age than you do her age. I'll just say that. Completely. And also, she's supposed to be... I don't know how old Nicole was at this point. I think she's right around the age of her character because her character is supposed to be 34. Right. That sounds right. Yeah. I mean, if anything, she's in that... She's in her early 30s where it's perfectly fine to cast her as 34. Yeah, it's actually, like, perfectly right if that movie was, like, 15 years ago and she's 50 now. That's, like, spot on. Yeah. Um, Should we talk about uh, the flashback that happens right after which is him wentworth miller rushing home because he's late rushing home because he's late he like uh, his sister is like dad's home early or something and then that's when we oh, get the big twist oh it's 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 the big t- it's the, the dinner scene. twist yeah i took a i took a screenshot of this and sent it to kevin o'keefe the moment i saw it i was like um do you want to see this family dinner with wentworth miller <laughs> and did he say absolutely and and <laughs> yes yes um oh wait but is this the one where he has the dinner that he his dad gets mad at yeah because it ends with his dad saying i'm late for my train oh but wait can there are two there are two things that i want to talk about before we get there then sure the restaurant scene where he invites Nicole Kidman to meet Gary Sinise and she freaks out. Mm, mm, I didn't write any notes about this, but yes, go ahead. Well, I mean, so basically it's kind of a like, I want my girlfriend to meet my best friend. And when he does that, Nicole Kidman like storms out of the restaurant and is mad because he brought her to a fancy restaurant, but literally it is not fancy. It's like not. it is just, it's just an establishment to eat that isn't Denny's. Like, and then... So she storms out and he has to chase her and like they never go back. So I'm assuming Gary Sinise just ate by himself. And then that scene they have that night is when they go back to her place and um, Ed Harris shows up and Anthony Hopkins leaves to go fight him. And he brings out like a crowbar and Ed Harris says the line, I just want to talk to you, you murdering fucking cunt. And then Nicole Kidman calls the cops on him and they come and take him away. Yeah, Nicole Kidman also uses the C word later um, in a truly horrifying sentence that I will say out loud. Um, But uh, yeah, I thought that would be the most heinous use of that word. And boy, was I wrong. (laughs) Okay, so the family dinner scene. So first of all, I've already said it. Anna Devere Smith is... Wentworth Miller's mother, and I don't know if you know this, but she is a black woman. So that begs the question: Why is Wentworth Miller there? Because Wentworth Miller is black, <laughs> which means that Anthony Hopkins is also black. Anthony Hopkins and Wentworth Miller. The whole twist of this movie is that they play very, 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 very light-skinned black. Uh, well, the same light-skinned black man. 
<sighs> and is he so i have a question though yes is it is it is it is he faking being jewish or is he black and jewish i believe the inference there is because wentworth miller is a boxer and his boxing coach is a prominent jew and at one point um where he kind of gets the idea because uh, there's this, like very strong paternal inference you know he says like oh if you're hanging with me like people just think you're jewish um and i think that kind of sets that in motion and I think okay. it also kind of justifies, like, later when he enlists in the army or in the navy or something, he identif- self-identifies as white. And I think, like, that could potentially lend to, you know, perhaps a slightly darker complexion than you would expect. I mean, I feel like there are people that you could have cast besides Anthony Hopkins and Wentworth Miller. Yeah, I think Wentworth Miller is definitely the less criminal of the two choices by a country mile, but definitely Anthony Hopkins is not the right choice. Oh, it's funny. I kind of felt like Wentworth Miller was the more criminal choice. Not because I mean, I I don't know what it was, but I feel like sometimes when you're a, I don't know, I I, I really don't know. I felt like Wentworth was especially when you saw. Wentworth in the context of the family I think that was it was that Anthony was always solo Mm -hmm. but Wentworth had so many scenes where he was with his family and it was just like I I feel like this movie needs a kind of like revisiting by (laughs) a gritty by like critical race theorists and I also feel like you know how recently Viola Davis had those comments where she was like I really regret doing the help and I'm happy I didn't win an Oscar for it yes I feel like I want to talk to Anna Devere Smith about this movie and I want to talk to her about sitting across from Wentworth Miller and asking and, and saying the lines like talking to him about being black and white and saying Negro to him and saying like you are a Negro and stuff. Um, but yeah, there's, uh, you know, there's probably realistically, there's probably a million people that could uh, do this instead, but it is his first film role, which is exciting. Oh, I didn't realize. I mean, Wentworth Miller just, uh, beat me up i know and then he would later uh write the screenplay for stoker and get nicole to star in it so full circle we we stand full circle (laughs) we really do um how about when his dad says i'm late for my train and you're like he's a businessman and then it cuts and he's like a, a waiter in like the dining cart and then he's so embarrassed that he dies Truly, okay. The only reason people can die in this movie, I guess there are two. One we haven't talked about, but the other one is embarrassment because we know that Anthony Hopkins' wife dies and also that his father dies, both from embarrassment. Um, so I will say this, though. The other Wentworth Miller connection that my podcast and your podcast have is that Wentworth Miller's first appearance ever on screen was on Buffy the Vampire Slayer yes. in the episode Go Fish. Correct. Um, you can plug your podcast right now if you'd like. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if everyone knows, but I have actually taken a leave of absence from my Buffy podcast. <gasps> but yeah, the, the Buffy podcast that I was a part of for a year and a half is called Slayer Fest 98. And I still have a lot of people who I love and cherish who work very hard to make it great. So I would hope that anyone who likes Buffy and wants to hear about Wentworth Miller or who was on one episode would listen to Slayer Fest 98. But yeah. Um, I don't even know where to go from there. There's some crazy shit that happens next. No, it's okay. I'm just thinking about when Anthony Hopkins um, talks about Nicole and says that she's not his first love or his great love, but she will be his last love. 
Right. And so he's like, he's really like, I'm willing to risk it all. Mm-hmm. Like, um, and I'm willing to like get the shit beat out of me by Ed Harris to defend. You know what? One thing that doesn't come across in the movie so well that they really like um, emphasize in the book is that um, Nicole Kidman's character, whose name we haven't actually said, her name is Fania Farley. Yeah. Wild. Wild. She cannot, she's, she's semi-literate. Like she can't read. Oh, it's like a um, new Annie, how the new Annie couldn't read. Yeah, like they are, they make a point of it in the book that it's like, oh, I cannot read and I clean up at the college and you were a professor there. And they're supposed to be a janitor at the post office then too, because I feel like most post office jobs, you probably have to read. She probably is. And that's probably why she was the last one there that day. How did she turn the open and closed sign? Well, I mean, even a lot of people who can't read can see the difference between the words open and closed. Okay. Like, because they look different. All right. I think. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure she's just like, it was facing this way. People were coming in. It must have set open. Now I'm going to flip it around. Um, yeah. There's one last flashback where, like... I, uh, Wentworth Miller... I, can, I, can I describe it? Uh, well, yeah. I'm just going to say that Wentworth Miller sees Carrie Washington, but uh, we might be talking about different parts of it. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, I wasn't even talking about that one. But Carrie Washington, when she's flirting with Carrie Washington, it's great. I was talking about the flashback where Wentworth. Um... Oh, so you want to talk about the the flashback where he goes back to have to bring his girlfriend to dinner? I can't remember which is first. I think first he takes her to the record store and that's when he says the N word. And you're like, oh, he's fully renounced his past. Oh, yeah. No, he goes full Gavin McInnes. Like, he's just like, oh, um, he's fighting he's fighting a black boxer and his boxing coach is like, Hey, give these people their money's worth, like make him go for at least four rounds. And instead he just like violently boxes him in the first round and beats him. And then his manager's like, I told you to go for four rounds. And he's like, I ain't like, you know, going four rounds with an N word. And you're like, Oh wow. Yeah. There's like an orchestral swell and everything. Um, but yeah, and then there's another flashback, which you should talk about, which is when he brings, um, Alicia Vikander to dinner. Right. He brings not Alicia Vikander to dinner. And, um, also (laughs) an interesting thing that happens around this time that relates to Alicia Vikander is that he also asks Nicole Kidman to dance for him naked. And we find out that Anthony Hopkins has like a fetish for making his girlfriends dance for him. Mm -hmm. Um, so he brings her home for dinner and he still has not come out to her about the fact that he is black. And then she comes to dinner and Anna Devere Smith opens the door and then she's awkward the whole dinner and like, can't really connect and doesn't want to hold his hand. And then on the train back to Penn station to New York, she breaks down on the train. She's crying. And in public oh my gosh. That, oh my gosh. She's crying. In public and she, I didn't realize there's so many emotional moments on trains in this movie because her dad, his dad dies on a train and then she cries on a train. The girl on the train. Um, That's pretty much the last time we see not Alicia Vikander. Uh, Yeah. And the movie is like kind of winding to a dramatic close, but not before Nicole can get a couple of monologues out. And one she gives to Anthony Hopkins is truly unwell because she tells him like, you think that losing your job when you're like close to retirement is a big deal. And then she says the sentence, having your stepfather put his fingers in your cunt is a big fucking deal. And that's fully when I knew this movie needed to be over. Oh, yeah. Oh, she has an outburst that is basically like, 
I have had more trauma than you have, and therefore I'm going to yell at you over breakfast. He makes a very significant breakfast. At one point, he tells her we have Eggs Benedict and ham. And I was like, oh, not ham on the Eggs Benedict. You prepared a separate meal of ham on there. Right. And then also there is a scene I just wanted to, speaking of A Star is Born content, there is a part where um, Nicole reaches out to touch Anthony's neck hair. And it's very much the way that Bradley Cooper touches Lady Gaga's nose in Star is Born. Like the camera closes in on Nicole, like <laughs> outlining the back of his neck with her finger. So You can't see this both... because this is an audio format, but I'm tracing my nose for you right now. Oh, thank you. They both at separate points get to play the Bradley Cooper role, but neither of them punch a cop, which I wish this movie had had. Yeah, the cops are pretty neutral in this movie. I guess Margot Martindale's kind of a cop. Oh, but I don't wish someone had punched Margot Martindale. I wish, well, actually, doesn't Ed Harris kind of get physical with the cops when they try to arrest him? Yeah, he resists arrest. Um, also, Carrie Russell has punched Margot Martindale in the face multiple times in The Americans, and we're all better for it. Oh, I've never seen The Americans. That is on you, and we can move on. But we actually didn't talk about, did you scream when you saw Margot Martindale? Because I screamed. Um... I knew she was coming only because her and Nicole have worked together like three times in their career. And this was the third one. So I knew it was coming because I get excited every time I have to talk about her. Oh, I see. I had, I went in knowing a lot about the plot and the architecture of the plot, but I didn't, I had never seen it. And I also did, I don't look at IMDb cause I'm weird. I look at Wikipedia mm-hmm. and Wikipedia only lists like the top, 10 actors in the film not in terms of quality but in terms of size of role and margaret martindale did not make it onto the onto the wiki um which means i'm going to edit the wiki tonight to include <laughs> yeah i did a deep dive during um days of thunder because that's the first crossover and that's when i found out about um this and practical magic was the third and that i knew okay um also Anna DeVere Smith won a Black Reel Award for Best Supporting Actress for this I, I film. I saw that. Um, also, this movie references the Manchurian Candidate, and Anna DeVere Smith was in the remake of Manchurian Candidate, which is a fun fact. Truly. Honestly, when is someone going to make the Anna DeVere Manifesto? Because... I She spoke at my career. work, and I um, everyone was asking questions about all her uh, like political activism, and my dumbass asked her what it was like working with Jonathan Demme twice. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm truly an <laughs> idiot and she was very nice about it. I have a, a, a long-standing say? history of asking bad questions at actor Q&As apparently. <laughs> um, what did what did she say? Oh, she was really nice and she just um she just talked about like uh like a family atmosphere on set and um just like espoused some Jonathan Demi wisdoms and said that he's a director that loves actors and just kind of like platitudes. Mm-hmm. Um, lovely. How about when Nicole gives a full um, potential Oscar monologue? Yeah, to a raven, an animatronic raven. Oh my god, the animatronic raven in this film. Honestly, like the amount of times they had it turn its head and just blink its eyes as she's talking. Like, if Nicole had been nominated for an Oscar, they probably okay. I'm gonna. There's a lot of scenarios here. Here's a scenario. Nicole Kidman gets Oscar attention for this because she's still hot off of her win for the hours. Could happen, right? Mm -hmm. They would have chosen the outburst. Well, they would have wanted to choose the outburst as her Oscar clip, but because she says the word cunt, they can't. So they would have gone with 
the bird monologue yeah. to show. Um, that Raven is to Nicole Kidman as that parrot is to Alice Janney's Lavana Harding. Oh, 100%. And it's also, isn't it weirdly implied you feel like this isn't the first time that she's had a heart-to-heart with this Raven? Like, they seem like old friends. Yeah, it's, um, it's a lot of attention devoted to a very specific and, quite frankly, unnecessary animatronic. Uh, how about when Nicole, after when she leaves that place and goes to Anthony Hopkins, she brings donuts and says this gem of a screenplay clip, which is, I brought donuts. They're from the donut store, Jelly. Oh my God, it's (laughs) so good. I wrote that down too because I literally was like, did you have to pay money to say Dunkin' Donuts and just couldn't? Like, is that what happened? (laughs) It's just like a bad dub. Her mouth is saying Dunkin' Donuts, but we just hear (laughs) donut store. Right, it's like, Tyra on America's Next Top Model when they were just like the camera would pan somewhere else and she'd be like and you're going to be using CoverGirl cosmetics <laughs> well, uh. um, she brings yeah brings donuts from the donut store and then they go where are they driving when the shit goes down so they actually don't say because what happened is she basically gets super vulnerable with him and was like listen I showed you my crazy like we're at that point in the relationship where you show each other you're crazy and either you break up or you move past it and then he's like, hey, you're, you had a lot of trauma. I'm black. And then they're in love and they're driving together. And do you want to tell the audience what happens, which is what we see at the beginning, but don't fully understand? Right. So what happens is that, um, well, we see at the very beginning, we see the car that has Anthony and Nicole drive off the road. And at that point, we don't know if they have survive or not because they could easily, I mean, get out of the car or something. I don't know. But what they reveal in the final moments is that Ed Harris was driving a car, the car that um, got in front of them and that they had to, like, they screeched and ran off the road and into an ice pond, basically. An ice pond. What? What is is an ice lake? (laughs) I mean, I just, like, would have said, like, a frozen lake, but I like ice pond so much more. An ice pond. It is factually Uh, correct. And... Ed Harris had actually been driving the car and planned on getting in front of them and killing them. Um, so yeah, that was that. And then they have um, a funeral for them at which Anthony Hopkins black sister shows up. And who does he think, who does Gary Sinise think she is? He thinks that he's the, that she's the wife of the man who spoke at the funeral, who said like, I turned my back on my Jewish friend, Anthony Hopkins, because. He oh, said yes, yes. Because, yes, he's okay, another right. professor who was black. And he, you know, Anthony Hopkins gave him like his first college job, kind of, like his first mm-hmm. like professor job and really championed him. And he turned his back and he thinks and Gary Sinise thinks that the woman is his wife, but it's actually Anthony Hopkins sister. Um, and it's a very then they basically go out to like, I don't know, some some like tea club and they have a they have a conversation about how people are getting too politically correct <laughs> yeah and then there's a flashback where anna devere smith says to wentworth miller i never saw you as black or white i saw you as golden and then she also says you think like a slave which is rough it's very rough and then you see them basically have a scene where it's the final time they ever see each other oh but actually for me the heartbreaking if all the writing a lot of the writing in the movie is bad but the one moment that actually got me was when Anna Devere Smith said to him, 
are you going to call me five years from now and like tell me to meet tell me to put on my Sunday best and go to Grand Central Station and that you'll be walking by at this one point and I'll be able to see my grandkids. And is that going to be my birthday gift? Yeah. And that then she also says, was really... because you know I'll go. She's like, or she says, like, because you know I'll be there. Right. And it's like, so, and also I actually thought, this is why Anna Devere Smith won two Supporting Actress Awards for this role is because she also has that part where she says, aren't you going to be anxious your whole life that if you have a baby with a white woman that it's just going to pop out dark? Yeah, she really like, lay- I mean, it's clear that Wentworth Miller like has not thought what he's about to do through, which is marry the woman that will eventually become the woman that like dies in his lap. Um, but yeah, I mean, she's definitely, I don't, is it controversial to say that she's the best performance in this movie? I guess not. Oh, not at all. Anna Devere Smith sells it, and she she does a lot with not with not a lot. She does a lot with a little. God, we should have just talked about Rachel getting married for an hour. She's so <laughs> good in that movie. Um, and then that movie ends, I think, with um, Gary Sinise and Ed Harris talking while he's like ice fishing. Basically, like they both know that the other person knows about what is going on. One that one of them is writing a book, and two, the other one is like a murderer. Truly. And uh, it's, I'm going to say a cinematic parallel to To Die For, because To Die For also ends on a ice pond, as you put it. <laughs> yes, the there movie. is an ice pond. <laughs> but honestly, I hate it. So can we talk about how bad the ice pond ending is? Because it's literally like the two two characters that were just so stupid get the final words of the film. And then it just ends. Where they look at the camera and, also, and they say, we, I guess we were all we did not just talk about human the fact. stains, and then the movie goes to black. Yes, literally. Well, no, he says the last, he says, like, I'm writing a book. It's called The Human Stain. It's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Do you think The Human Stain is, like, um, how on the new Sabrina they have, like, a witch's mark? Yes. Thank you. <laughs> that was a stupid question that didn't deserve anything more than a single word answer. So thank you for indulging. I wanted to give I wanted to give you that answer. I knew that you wanted it and I just It wasn't a yes and it was just a yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't seen it. I know about it, but I haven't seen it yet. Oh shit. I'm only like a third of the way through, but I'm having a great time. I want to see it, um but I have also heard from a lot of people that it it does not do well by its character by its queer characters or characters of color. But I'm going to see it and dis- and and divine that for myself. Anyway, at Netflix promo this podcast, please. <laughs> um. What 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 Nicole Kidman movies are on Netflix right now is the question. Um, it's pretty sparse. I think Margot at the Wedding is on there right now. Um, sorry. Well, I opened my Netflix I, by mistake, and then because I was talking about it, and there was sound. No. Um, it's fine. Um, there are a bunch of Nicole movies on HBO and on Stars, and actually a lot of her like early stuff is on Amazon Prime. Like like so the Australian movie she did, which I think is really interesting. But not Australia. But kind of. No, um, Australia is on one of those other streaming things that I mentioned though. Um, Stoker is on Netflix. Uh... Um. Well, I think we should let everyone know because <laughs> when is this going to air? Probably tomorrow. Surprise. Oh, so I think what we should let everyone know is that um, Human Stain is available on Hulu and HBO Go and HBO Now. It is. 
I was very excited that I didn't have to give Voodoo three ninety nine to watch it. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I think you know Nicole is hot right now, and so they're going deep into that back catalog. And sh- thankfully, she has the back catalog that you can you can put up the C list hits. Yeah, those like Miramax Weinstein Company films are like always streaming, except for Nine. Nine is like does not exist online, as we've discussed on this podcast. Do you have any idea why? Um, I don't know. I mean, it sounds like a really stupid, easy answer just to say like rights, but I'm like, what won't rights the musical rights? Like, did Maury Yeston retract them? Right. Um, but yeah, I would have retracted them after I saw the movie. It's bad. Um, <laughs> let's do this. Let's let's have you try and rate this movie. Um, okay. So I'm going to give you a series of one through five questions, five being the highest. Um, They can be about the movie as a whole or just Nicole. It's really up to you. Um, But the first one that you're going, oh, and also you're competing for the Golden Compass Award. Very important that I say that. Okay. And uh, um, the first one that you are judging are going to be the wigs in this movie. So on a one through five scale. Okay. I'm going to give Anna DeVere Smith's wigs a five and I'm going to give Nicole's wigs a two. Okay. Do we want to average that to like a three or a four? Yeah, let's do, let's do three. Scale. I'm leaning more towards three. Okay. At one point I wrote a note that I didn't say out loud, which is Anna DeVere Smith's hair looks like a cinnamon bun. And I don't really mean in that Princess Leia way because it was kind of like up in, in the front in like a yeah. um, that Isabelle Huppert movie where she's a teacher that is not the piano teacher that's escaping. Mrs. Hyde. It kind of looks like that hair. But it's great. She, she wears the it's shit great. out of it. Um... What about the accents in this film, one through five? Ooh, I'm going to have to go with a three. Um, And that's because I've always, I guess, it it feels like Nicole is trying for an accent here, and I don't know what she's trying for, you know? It's very unclear. I don't know where that character is from. Yeah, and but she says, I'm from Florida, and I'm from elsewhere, and I had to run away, but you really can't pinpoint Fania Farley's. No, it's an el- it's an elsewhere accent. <laughs> it's a what? It's an elsewhere accent. What is that? Just because she said she's from elsewhere, it, that was a bad oh, joke. Sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't. Get, I thought it was like a movie. I thought you were flexing a movie term that I didn't know. Like a like a Saint Elsewhere reference, <laughs> or like just like <laughs> you were being like, oh, like how someone would be like, oh yes, the Wilhelm scream. I thought you were just being like, yeah. oh, it's an elsewhere <laughs> accent. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I'll take a three on that category. That's fine. Um, okay. So this next one is the Naomi Watts scale. So a high score on this just suggests a high connection of Naomi Watts to this movie. Um, popular examples are like, did she audition for it? Do her and Nicole like text about it? Does she own like a DVD copy? That sort of thing. And you get to kind of fill in that scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to say five because I think that Naomi Watts. Great. What? <laughs> I said great. I'm going to say five because I think Naomi Watts would totally have auditioned for this. And I think, yeah, I think Naomi Watts actually would have been more appropriate for this. Yeah. There are some movies that like scream Nicole, like Naomi Watts did not audition for um, like Moulin Rouge, but like Naomi Watts very much could have auditioned for the human stain. Oh yeah. I mean, this kind of like, forgettable melodrama is where Naomi Watts gets her checks. I'm not going to say she thrives. I'm going to say gets paid. Yeah. I can't think, and I'm actually shocked that I haven't done this research yet, but um, 
Like, I'm sure she has a decent level of involvement with the Miramax Weinstein empire because everyone did at that point. You know, um, you know, I think we've talked about this that I like if I had to name a least favorite actress, it would be Naomi Watts. Oh, interesting. Do you just find her um, unremarkable or is there something more severe than that? I find her like just deeply unremarkable. And I've, I've, I've never seen anything where I was like, oh, yes, she was appropriately cast. And that includes I have seen Mulholland Drive and I've seen I Heart Huckabees. And I think that she's bad in both of them. Do you think that she was miscast when she played herself on BoJack Horseman? You can say yes. <laughs> I think Nicole could, should, should have gotten that role. Wouldn't that have been such a read? <laughs> just have, they just have Naomi Watts. I think she's good in the new Twin Peaks. I think she's very fun in it. Oh, I've never seen the older new Twin Peaks, so. That's fine. You'll probably think she's unremarkable, too. Um, Moving on, this is going to be approachability. So if you see, um, what the hell's her character's name again? Fanya Farley? Thank you so much. If you see Fanya Farley at, we'll say the post office, if you run into her at the post office, um, one through five, how likely are you to strike up a conversation with her? Well, I'm going to say one because I think when I'm in public, I deeply don't want to talk to people and Fanya really gives off energy that she doesn't want to be approached. So I would say on both ends, it would just be, there's no reason for us to interact ever. Great. (laughs) You're walking in, you're using that self-service stamp machine and you're getting the fuck out of there. Yeah, and, um, I'm, and like, if anything, I'd probably... The w- only way I'd interact with her is if, like, I accidentally spilled my, like, Burger King Coke Zero cup on the floor and I had to apologize to the janitress as she came in. And then she would go home to Anthony Hopkins that night and be like, all day I clean up people's shit. Right. She'd be like, you have no idea what it's like. Today some faggot fucking spilled <laughs> Coke Zero on the floor. <laughs> Fania Farley can't say faggot. <laughs> but, only, but only because it's alliterative. <laughs> Um, and she's been through a lot. Uh, really? The next one is the Scientology scale. So a high score on this would mean that um, this movie would be condemned by the Church of Scientology, and a low score on this means that this movie is basically Scientology propaganda. Okay. I'm gonna say that this movie is um, that this movie would be condemned by Scientology. So I'm gonna give it a four. Okay. Um, and that's because I think that. It's too much about people who are free thinkers. Mm, mm-hmm. There's a lot of um, deception. Yeah, and I think that they just would look at the movie and be like, everyone here needs to get a, a reading on their... On, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think a lot um, of people... I think Fania would very much go to a Scientology place because I think she would respond to the love bombing of a cult. She... Yeah, I mean, she... Yeah, yes. Like, if she had yes. survived the car crash and Anthony Hopkins died, I can very much see a sequel to Human Stain where she becomes a Scientologist. What would the sequel be called? The Human Stain Remover? <laughs> it would be, It would just be called The Tide Pen. Yes. <laughs> um, the last one is going to be overall level of iconicness as this movie pertains to Nicole's career. Um, that's a two. And a two, interesting. Okay, I'm gonna say two because it's not. It's iconic because of the era. Because I actually think that Nicole's most iconic era is her is her blue period, her post Oscar pre rabbit hole period. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's underwhelming even in the context of that era. Like when you're thinking about playing Diane Arbus or doing all the other things she did during <laughs> that time, the human stain. I think she's also just severely miscast. 
Yeah, I think that every, was a lot. Honestly, almost everyone every in the review was like, yeah, was like, okay, performances wildly miscast, save for Anna Devere Smith. Yeah, honestly, if Anna Devere Smith had been the 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 the, the focal point of the movie, it would have been much better. I'm gonna ask you one last question that's not on the scale before I give you your score, and you can take a moment to think about it. But if you could cast Anna Nicole, or, I'm sorry, wow. if you could cast. <laughs> <laughs> You're to see where I was going with that, Anna Nicole. If you could cast Anna Devere Smith in one of Nicole's roles that you would most want to watch, which movie is it? Can I have like two seconds to think about it? Sure. Okay. Um. So Anna Devere Smith in Nicole Kidman's role in any movie. Um. Oh, you know what? I just think that she would be a hoot and a half to see as Sandra Bullock's sister in Practical Magic. That's good. I want to see her do Destroyer, but... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, that would also be very good. Um, I mean, she could do anything. I would see her take Nicole's role in Happy Feet. I would see her in BMX Bandits. Oh, she'd be great in Paddington. Oh, she would be so fun in Paddington. Really, there's no wrong answer. That's true. Um, So this gives you, out of a possible 30, you have an 18. Oh, great. um, Which puts you uh, with contemporaries Grace of Monaco. Um, it puts you one ahead of Malice, which is very much in this vein of movie. Um, and it puts you, uh, let's give you one more. I think there's another 18. Oh, you're tied with Rabbit Hole, which is a movie that you've mentioned. Oh, great. Um, so I think that this is, this is pretty apt. Uh, but my last task for you is going to be to do something that everyone else has done, which is summarize the plot of Big Little Lies. Uh, the only trick is I'm going to ask you to do it in 60 seconds. Um, so whenever you're ready, you'll have a full minute to say whatever it is that you think is important for people to know about Big Little Lies. Okay. Big Little Lies is a big budget cinematic adaptation of the 1997 Billboard chart topping song Wannabe by the Spice Girls. <laughs> And um, Nicole Kidman plays the the ginger spice role um, because she's really about coming to girl power. Reese Witherspoon plays um, the uh, I'm gonna say she plays the baby spice role. Uh, Sporty Spice is uh, what's her name? Shailene Woodley. No, actually, Sporty Spice is Renata is Laura Dern. Um, And I'm going to say Posh Spice is actually Zoe Kravitz because she is posh. And who was the last one I didn't say? I think you left... um, Scary Spice. Oh, yeah. Scary Scary Spice is definitely uh, Shailene Woodley. Okay. Okay, great. And it's basically about Um, getting with each other... Get, like, if you want to be with my... If you want to be my lover, you have to get with my friends. That's the plot of Big Little Lies. Beautiful. Um... I love an extended metaphor to describe Big Little Lies. As I mentioned to you before this, uh, there was a Babysitter's Club extended metaphor, and um, all movie reviews these days are like, it's just this mixed with this anyway, so why not bring that same tactic here? Uh, before we go, Matthew, can you um, plug some things for our audience to find you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Matthew Rodriguez. My name is Matthew with one T and then Rodriguez with a G and a Z. Um, I also write for Into. So if you want to read my shit, you can either open up your Grinder app if you happen to be on Grinder, and my stuff will be there greeting <laughs> none you. Of, none of my audience knows what that is. So please check that out. <laughs> I think Nicole Kidman knows what Grinder is. I think she definitely knows what it is. Yeah, 100%. Um, I 
think that Fania definitely knows where Grinder is. If Fania were alive now, she would know. Um, but R.I.P. Fania, she's dead. Um, R.I.P. Fania. And yeah, so you can follow Into on Twitter at Into, and then you'll see my stuff there. And I think that's really it for me, honestly. Um, I don't have too much stuff to plug because I don't have a podcast anymore. But oh, or you and make sure to catch my series, The Kiki, on YouTube, which is about Drag Race, starring me and Kevin O'Keefe. Yes. Also, make sure to eventually subscribe to Matthew and I's eventual Desperate Housewives podcast that we always joke about doing that I think actually both of us really want to do. (laughs) Honestly, that's the truth because, and actually someone I know just um, tweeted about doing a, oh, it it was Kyle Turner. He's doing a Desperate Housewives rewatch. And I just feel like no one has brought the um, serious critical eye to Desperate Housewives that it deserves. There's nothing I want more in this world than just dissect every single Perfect Storm episode of that series. We should, um, this is such a stupid idea and I'm going to take this out. But now that I know that Kyle is at least tangentially interested, we should all just claim a wife and then just be our own little Wisteria Lane. And then we can all just come in and talk about the episodes that our characters were in. So like someone could be Edie and just do like the three seasons she was on and someone could be Vanessa Williams and just do that one but, season. But like also maybe to, that would be an interesting idea for a meta podcast where the people on the podcast each represent a character and they discuss why they did what they did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, that's it. That's the podcast. And if anyone does it before because we spoke about it publicly, I'm suing. <laughs> I honestly, I will claim. Um, who would you, so? Here's a question for you: Who would you claim if you had to claim a character on Desperate Housewives to stand up for all their actions? I think. I mean, my gut, and this is not a primary character. My gut is to say Catherine Mayfair. Honestly, I also was going to say Dana Delaney, and I. But the funny thing oh, is, shit. I was going to say like. I wouldn't all gays want to be dated lady. I wouldn't want to choose that character. Well, she ends up gay at one point. Remember? Oh, true. Um, true. I wouldn't. Okay. If I have to choose, I mean, I feel like I feel like I let's let's say who I can't be, which is I definitely can't be the evil Longoria character because I'm the least sexy person that I know. Um, and I probably well, I'm pretty annoying, so I could probably be Susan. I would, ch- I feel like if we're talking in terms of like astrology, I feel like I am like a, a Gabby, a Evangoria like moon, but like a Brie sun. So it's like, I feel somewhere between Brie and Gabby and I would be fine with either. That's good. I think that ultimately if I really had to choose, I think I would want to be Brie, but I think in practicality, I'm more of a Lynette I think I'm bossier rather than more meticulous. Yeah. Well, Honestly, I'm loving this idea. So it's going to be like uh, a a real podcast where we play fictional characters discussing their fictional actions. God, that's already so nauseating. Anyway, um, you can um, follow this podcast online at the Kid Manifesto, which is probably where I'll never tweet about that Desperate Housewives podcast idea. Um, or just follow me at Mr. Sam Herbst and uh, follow Matthew at all the places that he mentioned. And, um, you know, do that rate and subscribe thing to any and all things that we've listed. Uh, Matthew, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy that we discussed this very necessary movie for our troubling modern times. Yeah, I wonder if, um, you know, the now defunct Weinstein Company will see a small spike in viewership for the human stain in the in the coming weeks. (laughs) I know at least one person on Twitter said they were excited to watch it because of this episode. So we contributed our two views and at least one other. Totally. And and as you know, and I'll take us out on this, there can be a hundred people in the room that don't want to watch the human stain, but all it takes is one. 
Truly. And that one person was HBO Go. <laughs> um, thank you, Matthew. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you.